Right, so we're, we're on to Matthew 13 and part two. Um, and in, in verses one to 23, we did uh, uh, last week, which was part one, uh, we, we saw Jesus was preaching to these unsaved multitudes from a boat whilst they were on the seashore. And, you know, that was a pretty, pretty impressive sight. I, I mean, he, he, he tells them this parable of the sower. He, he, they're separated by the water, aren't they? His disciples were able to come to ask why he's talking to the multitude in parables. And I said, you know, maybe there's a picture there of that water being sort of like the word of God there. They're separated by, by this. The, the disciples were able to come to him. Matthew 13, 11 says, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And he then explains these people have rejected God and he has rejected them. He talks about like their heart, you know, waxing gross. Basically, they're prideful. They're, they're, and as we see, as we go through the Gospels, you're seeing a lot about this sort of ultimately these people being rejected. They, they're given that chance, given that opportunity at the beginning of his ministry and, and they're rejecting him and, and they get rejected by God. They, these people are, are reprobate concerning the faith. Um, we, we then, after that, we looked in depth at the parable of the sower and were able, I, I believe, to understand it once we put the three gospel accounts together. And I, I found that really interesting that Jesus Christ says, right, I'm going to explain it to you. But, we, you know, it's not that you just go to one passage and understand the whole thing. Once you put it all together, I think you really get a picture there. And um, obviously we are told to study, aren't we? Study to show thyselves approved unto God. Um, so... That was, uh, that was part one, and, and that, that obviously that parable of the sower, famous passage, um, and, and clearly all about soul winning. Um, I did hear from someone last week that someone was trying to say it wasn't one of his old pastors or someone, but clearly about soul winning, and clearly about those different types of, of people that get saved. But like I said last week, just because you, you, you're soul winning now doesn't mean that those thorns can't grow up. Doesn't mean that you might not be offended by persecution or tribulation, that you don't hit stony ground with those roots or anything else. So we want to maintain that good ground, don't we? Now, we're going to continue now from verse 24, uh, which reads, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. I'd like to just pray quickly before we continue with this passage. Uh, Father, thank you for um, thank you for your word. Thank you for these parables and thank you for helping us to understand them. Help me to preach this uh, accurately, Lord. Help me to preach this as you'd want me to preach it. Um, help, help everyone here to just have open ears, attentive ears, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Fill the room with your spirit, Lord. Um, and just help all these things to be done in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Okay, so... This next parable is known as the parable of the tares. And, and we're going to start from the verse above. Before we do, notice it said the kingdom of heaven. And this is a term that we see here in Matthew's gospel. And interestingly, in Mark's gospel, we see, we don't see this passage, but we see later on the kingdom of God. And I say that just because there's all this dispensationalist nonsense out there trying to say these are different things. They're the same thing talks about the kingdom of heaven here in Mark's gospel, referring to the same parable, he talks about the kingdom of God, okay? This parable, no, but we're going to see that this later in the next couple of parables we looked at, look at as well. But the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God, okay? And here it says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? 
He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, like with the parable of the sower, there's an explanation to this one, which is pretty handy, isn't it, to have? Um, but unlike the sowing, like I said uh, just a second ago, this parable is only recorded in Matthew's Gospel. So we're really going to have to try and understand what we can from the explanation, from this one, one version of the explanation here. So jump forward to verse 36. We're going to hit this, this parable first uh, for the explanation. So that's from verse 36 where it says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answers, said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. <coughs> Excuse me. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned into fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The son of man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, with that in mind then, so bearing that in mind, that explanation afterwards, we're going to look again from verse 24. So verse 24 says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. So this is Jesus Christ sowing children of the kingdom into the world. What does that mean? Well, Galatians 3.26 says, for ye are all the children of God by what? Faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, death, burial and resurrection, and really the word of God, Jesus Christ is the word of God, sows believers into the world, doesn't it? Okay, that's how we're sown into the world. So we, we obviously, we don't look through this, look at this through Calvinist glasses or something else. We're sowed by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, now verse 25 says, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, the men sleeping, we don't see an explanation as to who they are. They are either the rest of the world, you could say. You know, the rest of the world does seem to sleep when all this stuff goes on. They don't really seem to have a clue, do they, about what, what children of the devil are, which is what we're going to see, what, what real believers are or anything else seem to be completely asleep to it all or it could even be believers here couldn't it as well could be the men of the believers who don't and again like the world the vast amount of believers seem to be asleep to all of this as well don't really seem to have a clue what a false prophet is or any of the rest of it and i'm talking about genuine believers as well the vast majority of people you get saved will never sadly get to the point of really understanding most of this now they're able to they just don't sadly do that his enemy is the devil and the tares are his children. So the devil sows his children among God's children. That's what it says, doesn't it? What are tares? Well, this is talking about a weed called a darnel, apparently, which is a common, this, this common weed that looks identical to wheat until the fruit appears. Okay, so it's until the fruit appears. So what can we learn from just this, from at this point now? Well, the obvious thing is that the devil sows his children amongst God's children, okay? That's the obvious thing, isn't it? 
And look, I say that, and before I do, in case you're just wondering, well, well, who are his children? Who are the devil's children? Is this some offspring of Eve? Yeah, no, it's not some offspring. I mean, that is ridiculous, isn't it? Is it, is it basically everyone over seven foot tall? Are they the children of the devil because some sort of, you know, strange giant breeding? No, this is talking about reprobates. Reprobates. Specifically, here we're talking about the false prophet types, but children of the devil, reprobates. Turn to Acts 13. Let me look at this quickly. Well, I read John 8:44, where Jesus said in John 8:44, you're turning to Acts 13, John 8:44, Jesus said to these Christ-rejecting reprobate Jews, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Now, these Jews aren't seven foot tall. No, they're not some sort of offspring of, of, of the devil and Eve. Well, no. He says here, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, talking of the devil, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, his lie he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He said to them, ye are of your father, the devil. They then tell him that he has a devil, something that Jesus said have never forgiven us. Yeah? Okay, this is something that reprobates do, would call Jesus possessed by a devil. Now in Acts 13, where you've turned, Paul and Barnabas are preaching in Cyprus. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. So this guy's a false prophet. His name apparently means the son of Jesus. And, and you can imagine, there are probably some false prophets out there claiming for this sort of thing, don't they? Uh, this guy is a false prophet, it says here. He's a Jew, he's a false prophet, his name's Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a, pr a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Paul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So what is this false prophet's goal here? To turn away the deputy from the faith, yeah? That's his goal. What a wicked life, isn't it? And you really have to be, you have to be really a child of the devil, you would think, to, where your life is just spent, I know some, look, I know there are unsaved people that will just do that to some degree, but your life is spent just trying to prevent people getting saved, prevent people from hearing the truth, turn away people from the faith. And is the deputy saved yet, by the way? No. Okay, if you've read this story, we're going to see in a second he gets saved later. Turning him away from the faith, just so you understand, because sometimes you can read that in the Bible and think, oh, is this talking about losing salvation? No, it's, it's stopping someone getting saved. Turning them away from the faith, from the truth, from getting saved, yeah? So it, it, his goal here is to prevent him getting saved. So it then says in verse 9, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. See that? He calls him a child of the devil. Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So he's a child of the devil, agreed? Okay, that's what Paul, Paul calls him, or Saul, you know, whichever you want to call him here. He's a reprobate false prophet. What are his characteristics? Subtlety. He said he's full of all subtlety. Yeah, look, they're not, they're not just blatantly out there with horns on their head subtlety, full of all mischief as well. So he's trying, and this isn't talking about, you know, cheeky chappy, like naughtiness, you know, sort of pranks and things like that. This is talking about basically like he's full of wickedness. Okay, he's full of all mischief. 
He says, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So again, what's one of his characteristics? This false prophet, this child of the devil, perverting the right ways of the Lord. Now notice how it said the right ways, plural of the Lord. Because again, there's, I think sometimes there's a common feeling out there that, well, a false prophet, all they're really doing is, is preaching a false gospel. That's what a false prophet does, preach the false gospel. Otherwise, you know, they're really a false prophet. But it's the right ways of the Lord. Now, look, just to get this, get this right, everyone who preaches is going to preach things wrong sometimes, okay? I'm going to preach stuff wrong. I'm sure I preach many things wrong already, okay, from this pulpit. But there's a difference between purposely trying to pervert the right ways of the Lord and being human and sometimes getting things wrong, yeah? And someone who's purposely doing that, it doesn't just have to be the gospel. And yes, they're unsaved, okay? They're unsaved, but it does, it's not always just that. They can be very clever with it, yeah? For example, the Calvinist sounds like he, he's, you know, he sounds like he's got the gospel right, yeah? Grace through faith, etc., etc., etc. But he's perverting the right ways of the Lord, isn't he? Okay, and, and these guys preaching this stuff are false prophets all day long. How do you stand there and preach that wicked false god? And it's, it's, it's wicked, isn't it? Or, or, you know, many different, you can think of many different types, can't you? Many different types of people. And, and as we're seeing here and we're going to talk about is those sown amongst that appear to be like believers. And for us, obviously, they'd have to appear to be pretty much like believers. In, in other parts of, you know, parts of... Christianity in inverted commas, you know, they, they, some, some believers who got saved by you, who, who you knocked on the door, they might go away and believe that that completely queer as you like Catholic priest is actually, is actually saved. But that is a type of false prophet, isn't it? Okay, it's quite an obvious one to us, but not to everyone, okay? So here, this guy though, he, he's, he's full of all subtleties for, and mischief. And he doesn't cease. He says, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways, plural, of the Lord? And, and you know, just quickly on that, like we've seen and we've seen here and many churches will see, when, when people, these types of people, it won't just be the gospel. They'll be in there trying to pervert the right ways, trying to encourage people into all different types of sin, trying to encourage the church into certain things which are against the doctrines of the Lord, of the word of God, against what's being preached, against the leadership, all those sorts of things that pervert the right ways of the Lord. Okay, verse 11 says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. So I think perhaps a picture of the spiritual blindness of these people here, that's, that's what I believe that is. Yeah. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, maybe it's just something miraculous that Paul did, but I think that's probably what it is there. Um, because, you know, these guys, they are spiritually blind. See, they can talk a good game. And many people can talk a good game. And uh, We've seen this with people, you know, I remember one guy once stood up here and by all accounts, he basically just re-preached a, a, a part of a sermon of a pastor that someone happened to have seen preached before. And, and so... It, you can appear to be right, yeah? You can appear to, to preach, you can appear to know what you're talking about and everything else. But ultimately here, this guy needed leading by the hand. They need leading, they need, because they don't really understand the word of God. They can't really open their Bible and preach clearly, accurately the word of God. They have to just copy, they have to just pretend to be someone else. Take, they need leading by the hand like we see this guy here because they don't really understand. 
He says, thou shalt be blind, not seeing some for a season. Immediately they fell on him and missed the darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. And they have to do that. They have to copy. They have to. That's why you, you might you, you might have seen some of these guys. And, and you might have sat in a sermon and gone, oh, that's pretty spot on. And then kind of a while later, months, years maybe later, you find out that guy was an unsafe. Wow, that's weird. Because he was really spot on with this, 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 this. Because they're just copying it. And some of these guys will get, I mean, they're just given sermon notes from Bible college and stuff like that. And they'll just go to, you can just go online, it seems, and just get, get all sorts of stuff. You're just going to copy and take it from someone else. People can do that. It doesn't really mean that they're, oh, well, they must have, you know, they must be full of the Holy Spirit because they could preach accurately maybe the parable of the sower or something else, right? Okay, they need to be led by the hand. I think that's what we're seeing here. Verse 12 says, Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So that's when he believed, okay? He tries to turn away from the faith, but he gets saved at this point in verse 12. Okay, look at, look at uh, go back to Matthew 13 with that in mind, okay? That's just some good characteristics of children of the devil, showing what a child of the devil is, a false prophet, a reprobate. Back to Matthew 13 in verse 25 says, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So these particular false prophet infiltrator types here look just like the children of God. Okay, they look just like him. He said here, his enemy came as Sotez among the wheat and went his way. Matthew 7, 15, that turn there said, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Notice it's inward. Inwardly, not outwardly, inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay, the field though, just to make this clear, because you could look at this passage and just want to just kind of shove it into church life. But what was the field? It wasn't the church, was it? The field was the world. They're everywhere. These people are everywhere. Okay, it's, it's not just in the church. They infiltrate everywhere. We were talking about it on um, the other day, we, uh, just with Brother Huna, I think maybe, maybe Brother Dan as well. There's a couple of us just talking about the early UK soul winning days. This is long before church. And there were just false prophets popping up left, right and centre. One trying to pull a group this way, another trying to pull a group that way. Another one just rebuking, reproving anyone on, on, on group chats. Another one trying to, trying to subtly sow seeds about this pastor or about this doctrine. Just non-stop. I actually looked through some of it a little while ago. I just, just out of interest because of some recent events obviously that went on here. I was just looking and seeing some of the stuff these guys did a long time ago and some of the little subtle comments, subtle little seeds of doubt on certain doctrines, little, little lies about so-called just salvations when these people didn't even know at that point how to preach the gospel, all this sort of stuff. And, and these people, they're, they're everywhere. And because there's, again, we, I, was, I was guilty of it. I remember when I, when, when I first started, you know, finding some other believers who were preaching the gospel, I was like, yeah, great, great. There's, you know, just these people, they're, they're, they're out, they're listening to the right preacher. They must be saved. They must be good people. And then it started to become a bit shocking. You know, and you're seeing these people get kicked out, kicked off the group. You're seeing just all these weirdos popping up and, and you just don't expect it. And you don't really, you're not looking out for it either. And it's just bizarre. It's, and that's before you even have a church. Before we even had a church. And look, these, you know, that's everywhere. So just because someone, oh, well, they soul win in so-and-so country. Oh, and they've cut, oh, well, they must be all right. Oh, it must be all right because they're a soul winner. They must be all right because they're, they're getting together and going, so it doesn't mean nothing, does it? 
It really doesn't. And we're going to see this in a minute. So, okay, the, like I said, it, it's not just the church. They are everywhere. Okay, it says here, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So when did the tares appear? When the fruit was brought forth. Now, apparently the darnel, the tear that we talked about here, this, this, this plant, is only distinguishable from, from wheat when the fruit appears. So it's when the fruit appears. I said here, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. See? And, and this is true to life, obviously. Uh, talking about, you know, what, what this example is of these, these tares and the wheat. But turn back to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 7, 16 said that ye shall know them by their fruits, didn't it? In Matthew 12, we saw that those fruits are what come out of the mouth. Let's just look at it again. Verse 33 says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Okay, so it's clearly talking about what comes out of the mouth. With that in mind, go back to Matthew 13, where verse 26 said, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the, the tares start to become apparent by the difference in their fruits, right? That's how we know them, that's how we recognise them. But how's that clear? It's only clear by comparing them to the fruit of the good seed, isn't it? And I say that because there are those, obviously, that, that just wouldn't have a clue. So unless, you, unless you're living for the Lord, unless you're reading your Bible, unless you start to be around other Christians, you, you're not going to see those fruits. And there are people out there who are, gonna be, who are saved, and if they're not around God's people, they're going to find it harder to spot those who have wicked fruit because they've got nothing to compare it to. To the point where there are saved people that will hear someone talking about repenting of your sins and stuff like that and not really understand and just start to even maybe parrot it off themselves. They don't even know what they're saying or anything else because they're not around God's people. And that's why being in church around God's people is so important, isn't it? Because then you start to see the wicked. Then you start to see the wicked fruit. And it's not always damnable heresy like that. When you're around people of God and God's people and you're in a church and everything else, then you're more likely to recognise. You recognise the false prophets more. Everyone here who's been listening to good preaching, and I'm not talking about myself, but before they came to this church, everyone here that's in a church around other people, they recognise those false prophets out there more. And the more we're in church life, the more we start to recognise it, the more we start to see it, agreed? Okay, but without being here, without any of that, without listening to good preacher or anything else, it, it would be hard, wouldn't it? Be hard. So here it's when they bring forth fruit. And, and here's what's so, also so good about this parable. The darnel, okay, the tear that we see here. The tear's fruit seeds are apparently a strong soporific poison. Soporific being something that induces sleepiness and, and, and drowsiness and everything else. Which is quite interesting, isn't it? Because the false prophet's fruit is poison, isn't it? 
It is poison. And if you're saved, that poison will induce sleepiness. It will induce drowsiness and it will basically limit you and stop you being alert and being lively for the Lord, won't it? Just amazing, isn't it? The parables of the Lord and, and amazing. But yeah, just like the false prophets out there, the children of the wicked ones. So look at verse 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Now, who are the servants here? Well, these are those serving God. And now some could say, well, that's the angels. They did say the angels are the reapers. And he does say to them, he does say to them after this, I think in verse 30 maybe, I think he says... Um, he says, let both grow together until the harvest, and in time the harvest, I will say to the reapers. Now, he's talking to the servants here. Now, he might be, it might be the same people. I think probably not. I think these are those serve, serving God. The servants. The servant said unto him, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And it makes me think of just, just believers in general, believers in life where a lot of the time we're looking at these false prophets, aren't we? And I don't know about you guys, but I know myself a lot of the time. God, just destroy them. Just smash them. Just, just cut them out. What, you know, and, and sometimes early on, you're just looking, thinking, how are these guys, how, how are these people alive? How, like, how are these, like, these wicked false prophets? You, you know, especially the ones that are really influencing a lot of people, these mega preachers and stuff. Why aren't they just being struck down? Why don't you just kill them? And then it also makes me think of those, especially in church leadership, where sometimes you, you want to yourself pluck them out, don't you? You want to just fling them out early on. You're like, I, can, I know what you are. I want to get you out. But, but you can't, can you? You can't. Because it says here, it says in verse 29, but he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Now, like I said, obviously the field is a world. So primary application here is what he's talking about. It's just, just in all aspects of the world, these being sowed amongst God's people. And ultimately, we all just want these wicked people to be, well, I hope you all do, but I do. I want them to be gathered up and burnt. Yeah. Okay. But, but he says, lest while you gather up the tears, you root up also the, the, the wheat with them. And there's a couple of problems here because and this is what he's explaining is even though the fruit is showing at this point so we can recognize them so sometimes at that point you can see what they are you can see their fruits they're so close to the wheat aren't they okay so now he's not saying that the wheat are going to get burned with unquenchable fire but they're going to get rooted up what are they going to get rooted up from well for me I would say probably thinking about, you know, turn to Psalm 92, 13 says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. We want to stay planted in the house of God. We want to stay planted. We want to stay planted in the things of God, rooted, you know, strong in the things of God. And, and you could say that maybe if you're seeing just these people that you believe are real saved Christians, you believe and you're seeing them just getting destroyed and everything else, Maybe, maybe that's going to uproot you a little bit. Maybe that's going to affect you. Uh, in church leadership, if you look at it on that small scale, another application of this, and let's be honest, if I'd started kicking out some of those people several months ago, and even if, I, well, I've got a second witness to, say, for example, we'd, I'd kicked out 
uh, Ben Franklin because I'd had a couple of witnesses to his attempted trading with people in church. You're telling me that maybe not more people here would have been like, no, that was harsh, brother. He's a good guy and the people that have been conned by him. OK, because look, and that's not a slight on anyone. Look, that's what their goal is, is to cut. People would have been like, no, no, that's not enough. If I kicked out, say I'd kicked out Doran and Elena because of her breaking rules week after week after week, just blatant in everyone's face. And I'd just gone like, right, that's enough. You're causing division in our church. Get out. Yeah. You, do you think that a lot of the church wouldn't have maybe started to question my leadership then and gone a bit harsh, brother? Ian, come on, pick. People can be like that. Some people just find it hard, you know, to adapt, you know. They're just quite strong personalities, etc. Now, I knew I could see the fruits of them. And look, I didn't, you know, I wasn't 100, 100. You know, you're always trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, give them the benefit of the doubt. But deep down, you know. But it wouldn't have been enough, would it? Yeah, if I'd kicked out Alex for a lot of his kind of pervy, weird ways. You think that, look, people here wouldn't have been like, Come on, man, he's just a bit different. He's just very, like, touchy-feely and everything else. And those people would have then possibly been uprooted from our church, yeah? And it's the same in all areas of life with that because we don't always know who they are. We don't always see them, do we? And it's the same if God just uproots them and rips them out. Again, that's going to make people question. But that great Christian, I can't believe what happened to them. They just got struck down dead. They just got smashed you know, out of nowhere, just a thunderbolt just came and lit him. I, I don't even know what what's this life as a Christian about, you know, because we get conned by them. We all do get conned by them. We will continue to get conned by them. OK, so that's ultimately why. That's what I think it's saying there. And obviously we can look at it on a church scale, but the field is is the world. OK, so what does he say instead? He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And in time of harvest, I'll say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, just to make this clear, okay, this isn't talking about church discipline. The field is a world, okay, the field's a world. And there will be people that, uh, you know, who, who, you know, will get through church life and other things and maybe not get exposed their whole life. I don't know, but, but that's not what it's talking about here anyway, because really it's talking about these people not getting plucked up by God and thrown into hell early, Yeah. That's what it's talking about. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't kick them out because the Bible's very clear about what to kick people out of church for. So you'll have like some will go, oh, look, look, you can't, you know, it says let them grow, let them, let them grow. You know, it's not for you to do that. No, no, that's, we're not talking about church discipline here. We're just talking about in the world and we're talking about eternal judgment and that will come at the end. And obviously that ultimate judgment in the lake of fire will come at the end of the world, yeah? The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. Now jump forward to verse 39. Jump forward to verse 39 now, where it says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and, sh and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is referring to the great white throne judgment. And again, you don't have to turn there, but when Revelation 20, verse 15 says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Because with many of these false prophets, that's then they will be probably ultimately finally getting exposed to all. 
Because, yeah, we might have clocked certain ones, but there are believers that probably look at somewhere like, I don't know, even someone like Joel Osteen probably and think, yeah, it's a man of God because they've never really developed probably past the spiritual milk phase. Okay, and, and that's when really, you know, maybe there'll be a lot of believers around the world be like, wow, I couldn't believe it. And some of us might be like, knew that one, yeah. Or I clocked him ages ago. But there will be ones that we didn't know. Yeah, there will be ones that are like, wow, really? You know, that, that will happen, I believe. You know, we don't, we're not going to know it all, right? But that's when, it's, that's when the kind of ultimate exposing will come, yeah? Now, what happens to the wheat, the good seed? It said, gathered into the barn. Verse 43 said, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, what's the ultimate message there of the whole thing? It's just to be patient, isn't it? It's to be patient. Live your life for God. Do the right thing. Be patient. People, these people will get their comeuppance in the end. And it can be frustrating. It can. You can, you can look at it. Obviously, in church leadership, kind of, that's kind of a... a you know, a, a, a kind of smaller scale sort of application of this. It can be frustrating, but obviously just in the world, in life and all these, they're, they're everywhere. They're false prophets everywhere, aren't they? I mean, the more you go out and you're just knocking doors, the more you come across them, you're knocking doors. In. I mean, we had a one today. I mean, you're walking down the road, brother John Cornell ends up trying to preach the gospel to a so-called pastor and they're just everywhere, aren't they? And, they, and they're trying to backtrack and sound like a... They're saved, you know, they say one thing and then when they realise, oh no, this guy actually is saved, I'll then change to, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, of course you can't lose your salvation, even though I just said I can, uh, you know, because I don't really know, even though I'm a pastor and I'm just, just, they're everywhere, aren't they? Okay, so look at verse 31. Verse 31 then says, we're going to move on now, it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So we moved on. We've done the parable of the tares. He then puts forward another parable. Now, uh, the parable of the tares, great parable, good reminder for us, something we need reminding of a lot, something the Bible reminds us of a lot, just to, just, just to kind of finish that off quickly there, because, you know, and, and obviously we, you know, gets preached quite a lot. We've been doing Bible, so it just comes up. I mean, so far, you know, at this church, we've gone through 1 Corinthians, okay, and, and that sort of stuff's come up a bit. We've gone through the book of Romans, and it comes up. We, we, we went through the Gospel of John. It's just coming up all the time. We're seeing all these kind of things of Judas and the way he does certain things. And, and, and you know, obviously we're now going through the Gospel of Matthew and it just comes up and comes up and comes up. And I know it's not always easy going listening to that sort of preaching, but the Bible's constantly warning us. Tears, tears, this type of people, many false prophets. You know, sown among you, no, they're in uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, all these sorts of things. Paul warning them night and day with tears, time and time again. Now, and now he moves on and, he's in the, and he says, he then gives this parable, but we don't have an explanation for this parable, okay? And, uh, you know, you, you can look at the other versions. I don't think there's any necessary gems in the other versions of it or, you know, uh, here you've got kind of Mark and Luke as well with these. And, and so this is kind of open to interpretation and I would imagine many people have interpreted this in different ways and I, this is how I'd like to interpret it I might be wrong here so bear with me with this but 
I would like to look at this parable in light of the parable of the tares. Because he has given us an explanation of the parable of the tares. And there are some similarities to some of the, some of the uh, characters in this, yeah? We've got a sower here. Well, the sower in the parable of the tares, which he's just said, is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, yeah? The mustard seed here, well, this, the seed we just saw is a child of the kingdom. And the field, you could say, is the world, right? So you've got the sower here, maybe that's Jesus Christ, the mustard seed, the child of the kingdom, the field, the world. The child of the kingdom, a new believer, is sown by faith in Christ. But for me, is often the least of all men, yeah? You turn to 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, the child of the kingdom, that new believer, that believer in general, especially when a new believer is... Is, is often the least of all men. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. He's talking about, about, about believers here and base things of the world and things which are despised, base is basically at the bottom there, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, the least of all seeds. Mark 4.31, just stay there though, when relaying the parable says, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all seeds that be in the earth. Yeah, He says it's less than all seeds that be in the earth. And that's the new believer, I believe. Verse 29, where you are, says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Okay, but what happens when we grow? Well, look at verse 30 now, where you are. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as, uh, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Okay, so if you go back now to, to the parable where we are in verse 32 in Matthew 13 says, verse 32 says, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And mustard plants, mustard plants get really big, don't they? They get apparently very big. They're, they're, they're kind of the greatest ones. They can look like trees. And I believe that this parable is about the growth a believer can achieve. Oh, I didn't say the kingdom of God. Well, it also said the kingdom of God about the, the parable of the tares. Okay, and that's talking about wicked ones getting signed amongst believers. Okay, it's just truths of the kingdom of God. Okay, truths of faith. Yeah, and here, I think it's the growth a believer can achieve. Psalm 1, you don't have to turn now. I think everyone knows these verses. Says, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is a blessed man. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's how I see that. I think that's just kind of the, the showing the difference that comes from someone who's the base amongst men, the lowest among men. And ultimately, they become really full of wisdom because so many here can, can testify for that. No, we're not all great. No, it all comes from the Word of God. But how much, I, th I hope, has everyone grown here just, just reading the Word of God, just doing the things of God, just living for God and growing in, in so many aspects of your life and ways of your life that you probably couldn't have imagined before. 
And that's what I think it's talking about here to the point where the birds of the air come and lodge in a branch. So obviously it's talking about just being basically like a shelter for many. I don't think, I know some would try, oh, it's talking about the fowls or something. It's not, not, it's not I don't think you could relay it to then the, the fowls as we saw in the parable of the sower. So that's what I believe there. Then verse 33, he then says, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now, leaven being a sourdough type starter, basically yeast, yeah? Meal being flour. Now, the analogy for me is how the leaven can multiply, okay? Not just one measure of flour, but three measures here, isn't it? And it's the same, Obviously, leaven's used when talking about sin. And again, you could look at this and go, well, isn't leaven constantly talking about sin? Yeah, it is, but, I, but sin does that as well. Sin multiplies, and ultimately, it's talking about the multiplication here. Sin, yeah, sin multiplies, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. But in the same way here, I think it's talking about, well, it says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. It basically keeps multiplying and multiplying, and... and that's, that's what you see when you kind of put yeast in something and, and the now leavened dough can also be used as leaven. So that's kind of what this, this, this leaven they use. It's basically dough which is, which is so sort of like ultra-fermenting that, that it can be used to then just ferment big amounts of flour and then that can then be used to become this, this sort of like a sourdough starter, yeah? Now, with that in mind, the multiplying and multiplying, Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So our multiplication as, as believers comes from us going and getting others saved, doesn't it? Okay, that's how it comes. And, and it, it, like here where the leaven has contact with the rest of the meal, the grain, and it just ferments and rises... In the same way, when we go out and we preach the gospel, we get other people saved and the kingdom of heaven multiplies, right? That's what I think it's talking about. And there was something, I, I just did it quickly on a calculator. I'm sure I've heard this preached somewhere before. But if one Christian got 10 people saved, yeah, and they might have got many other people saved, but if 10 of those people saved went and got 10 people saved each, and those people went and got 10 people saved each, yeah, if everyone did that, it would take, I think, only 10, 10 times that to basically get the whole world evangelised. It would take, you could say, 10 generations, but it doesn't even have to be generations. If I went out and got 10 people saved and those 10 people each got 10 people saved and those people each got 10 people saved, it would only take 10 lots of that to get the whole world saved. That's how it should be, shouldn't it? That's how it should be, but... How many Christians, how many believers will even listen to this and even listen to preaching like this and listen to people telling them, go out and preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel and still not preach the gospel. And that's how people get saved. That's, that's how the kingdom of heaven multiplies, like hiding a bit of leaven in three, three, what's it, measures of meal here. Measures a large amount as well. And yet still, uh, well, soul winnings for other people, soul winnings for someone else. Oh, what a difference we could all really make, huh? And so often we don't. And it's sad, isn't it? Now, that's what I believe that that's about there. Again, you, you could probably apply it in different ways, maybe. He, did, he hasn't given us an explanation, 
So, you know, I don't think there's necessarily 100% right interpretation of those two, two parables. If anyone's got their own interpretation, I'd be really interested afterwards. That's what I thought. Um, okay, then verse 34 says, All these things spake Jesus to the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Right, so turn to Psalm 78, which is what he's referring to here. Uh, this is from Psalm 78. He just said, what, spoken by the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Psalm 78 and verse 1 says, <clears throat> Give ear, O my people. Psalm 78 and verse 1, Psalm Maskil of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. So Jesus called them things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. This says dark sayings of old. Now, is that because he wanted them secret? Now, some of these things, and we saw that, yeah, he doesn't want those people that, that are basically reprobate to, to, to know and understand these things. But it says here in verse 3, talking about these particular parables, he said, I'll open my mouth in parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praise of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. So, and obviously this is prophetic, but the children of Israel should have been like the psalmist here, yeah? Showing the next generation the praise of the Lord, his strength here, it says, his wonderful works. And it said in verse 5, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Yeah? So they were commanded to do that as well, weren't they? Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. They failed to do this, didn't they? Which is why when Jesus arrived, it was such a spiritual mess. And it's not just because of, yes, there were some wicked people. Yeah, there were some false prophets. Yeah, the enemy so tears amongst the wheat. Yeah? But there was a lot of people there that just failed. They just failed to, to educate those, the next generation, the next generation. It says in verse 7 that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And this was unfortunately what was the status quo in Judea, wasn't it? Jesus is talking in parables, uttering dark sayings, but for many of these it's too late, isn't it? For many of these people that he's talking to, they're done. It says that they've, they've shut their ears, they've shut their eyes, he's done the same to them, they're done, they're reprobate. Now, they can't understand. Now, like I said, they've chosen to reject, yeah? But who was commanded to teach them right as children? Their fathers. Their fathers, that's what it said here, that they were commanded to do that, right? Said, said we saw earlier, it just said, it said earlier, it said in verse, where are we? Verse um, 5. He established a testament in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. It says that the generation to come might know them, even the children that should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Okay, so 
they didn't do that. And I, look, this is prophetic, really, as well. That's our responsibility, isn't it? That's our responsibility now. And was the responsibility just to get them saved? Is that what he said? Oh, they just didn't get them saved. Well, look at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done. Verse 7 said that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Their hope in God is only one of those, isn't it? They were also to, to they, were, they were told to teach the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works, that they should set their hope in God, I believe that's talking about salvation, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's our responsibility as well. That's why Deuteronomy 6, 7, you don't have to turn this, says, talking about the word of God, and thou shalt keep them diligently, sorry, teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk to them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Okay, that's what we're told to do. That's what we're commanded to do. Otherwise, what happens further down the line? And, and what happens is what we're seeing here with Jesus in front of the unsaved reprobate multitudes. And that can easily happen to our line, can't it? And because it's not just getting them saved. Getting them saved is one thing. Teaching them the praise of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works. Not to forget the works of God, to keep his commandments. Talking about them diligently until our children. Talk of them when we sittest in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when, when we rise up. It's so important, isn't it? Because if they don't grow as strong Christians, if they're just saved and maybe a little bit weak, what's going to happen to their kids? Maybe get them saved? Yeah, maybe get them saved? Hopefully get them saved? Are they going to grow up as strong Christians? Going to be weaker, aren't they? Are their kids then going to get saved? Now it's getting a little bit less, less chance, isn't it? Next generation down, I would say no. And... That's sad, isn't it? Sad if you think about your own line and think, well, and, and here, you know, that, that was, this is a result that we're seeing here in, in Matthew 13. You're just seeing all these like, multitudes, multitudes of people that were from a nation that had the oracles of God given unto them, that had the word of God, that now at this point have got Jesus Christ walking in the flesh in front of them. And it seems that the multitudes have had their eyes closed, their ears shut, their hearts have waxed gross, they're, they're waxed fat, they're, they're, they're done. And how sad that is, isn't it? And, and although, yeah, they, a lot of these are wicked people that have obviously, you know, rejected the Lord clearly, said he's possessed and everything else, some of that responsibility still lies with their parents or their parents' parents, their parents' parents' parents. Because they sh if they had all done as they were told and they had all strengthened, look, there's no reason. Because like, I think sometimes we as parents, we can worry and think, well, you know, let's hope that, that each child, I've just got to keep praying and make sure that, that they don't end up being wicked, right? But there's no reason why they should, is there? Is there a reason why, why a child at five, six, seven years old shouldn't just hear the gospel and put their faith in Jesus Christ? I don't see any reason why they shouldn't. So what's the issue? The issue really is, as you go further down the line, is those that then stop preaching the gospel. 
stopped even knowing how to preach the gospel. Yeah, look, all of us here, I hope, look, I, I'd see no reason why all our kids aren't going to be, you know, all going to be saved. But are they all going to go on to save their kids? Or are they all going to go on? Maybe that'll be all right. Maybe they'll go on to save their kids. But are they going to go on to inspire their kids to then live for God and save their kids? And that's what we want, isn't it? Because that's another way that we'll multiply like we talked about before. Like the leaven in the lump is by making sure that we raise our kids as godly children, godly kids that are going to go and keep doing that, going further down the line and go out and preach the gospel to others as well. If we go back to Matthew 13, verse 36, it said, Then Jesus sent the multitude away. I mean, that's pretty clear there, isn't it? He just sends them away. They're unsaved, they're reprobate, he just sends them away. Wait a second, what happened to, you know, Jesus, just peace, love, and arm around everyone? And no, oh, they're wicked. They're wicked. They've rejected him, they've called him possessed. He's, he's preached the parables that they don't even understand. He hasn't even explained it to them, and then he sent them away. He's like made, just made a point with them, really, hasn't he? He's just used them to make a point. And went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. It's his disciples he declares it to, right? And it's too late for most of these people now. The rest of these, these multitudes. And then verse 37, as we saw, he answered, said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. That's the title he gives himself. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and then which do iniquity. So obviously the tares are getting gathered and burnt, but by the way, so is everyone who isn't saved, yeah? And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that is a reality. That is the truth. That is what we're saving people from. That's what we want to be saving our direct line from. And that's what we want them to be saving others in their life from as well. And going out and preaching the gospel, right? Because it, it, this, is, this is a real truth. This isn't something we just preach, but we just hope that it's not really true. No, he said there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth, yeah? Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And like I said, we want our children, their children, their children, also to shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of our father, don't we? Okay, how do we do that? By, by making sure that we raise our kids in the things of God and make sure that they're going to go on to do the same and make sure that we're going out preaching the gospel and we're getting other people saved and we just do what God wants us to do, live how God wants to do it. That's the only way we can do it, isn't it? Because we try and do it on our own, in our own power and on our own wisdom. It's all going to go wrong, isn't it? Okay, and um, on that, that's the end of, uh, well, Matthew 13, part two. We'll be doing part three next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, um, thank you for your, you know, these, these great parables and, and I, I pray that, I hope that, that I've explained that as you'd want me to, Lord, and uh, I know we, we can all interpret at least some of these in, in different ways. Um, thank you for the explanations you have given us there and, and also thank you for the richness of your word that kind of gives us that opportunity to try and sit down and think think about what you're trying to tell us there as well, that it's not all just given to us on a plate, that um, you know, we should be studying, we should be, be dwelling upon your word, meditating upon your word, Lord. Um, I, I pray that, look, we're, we're all imperfect people, all of us as parents, we're in, you know, imperfect parents, we're going to get things wrong, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to make errors, help us to all 
just raise our kids as you'd want us to, Lord. Help us to, to just try and get things right, try and do things how you'd want us to do things, however hard that might be. Um, with all the challenges we're all going to have, the individual challenges we're going to have, Lord, help us to, to do that. Help us to, to, to just be inspired to try and just make a real difference in this world as we know we can and we can with that line that we that we bring into this world and we can also by, by going out and preaching the gospel lord help us to want to do that help us to want to get people saved to want to to want to you know make a difference and to want to inspire those as well to do the same lord um, help us to just be a church that will always do that help us to be a church that that it just preaches out loud and clear time and time again and doesn't shy away from these truths and and even though it's uncomfortable for many for, for those that maybe don't have a heart for soul winning help them help us to encourage them inspire them to have that lord in jesus name for all of this amen <coughs>